Hey, if you would uh, grab a Bible, get with me to Exodus chapter 13. If you need a Bible, you'll find one in a seat in front of you, uh, but get a copy of God's Word in front of you there. Um, uh, each week, my iPad, your phone probably does this or something, but each week my iPad will compile a group of pictures together, and it delivers it to me as one of my memories. And so it could be of, you know, this date through the years or this season through the years or, or, or one of our kids and, and following them as, as they've grown through the years. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about with this? And they put a little soundtrack behind it, and, and I get sucked in every week to watching this. And, and, and there's something powerful as I do. Um, it fills me with thankfulness uh, for God's goodness through the past. Um, as you're just, you know, yesterday we were gathered around as it had compiled pictures of my five-year-old through the years of him growing up, and all the kids are watching it, and you're, you're filled with this thankfulness of just God's goodness to you as you look at these monuments of, of what he's done in the past. But there's something each week as I watch these of, of my family and the kids and whatnot, I'm also reminded of, of of this call to be faithful in the present. Like as I, as I look at a picture of, you know, yesterday, for example, my five-year-old, as I see a picture of him as a baby, I'm confronted like, wow, life really does go fast. And there's this reminder of faithfulness in the present as I look at God's faithfulness in the past. Now, I start here today because last week, Mitch did such a great job of uh, walking us through the events of the Passover, this, this monumental event in the, the, the history of uh, the people of Israel in which God came with the 10th plague, the plague of the firstborn, and the firstborn of all of Egypt, both man and beast, is killed. And God passes over uh, the firstborn of Israel because of the blood of the lamb that is on the door. And God's great mercy in that. Um, but this plague of the firstborn, was the, it, was, it was the breaking point for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, okay, fine, get out of here, go, go worship this God of yours. Um, and, and, and so we know, if, if you're familiar at all, even at a high level with the book of Exodus, you kind of know after Passover and them leaving the land of Egypt, this coming this massive, this massive event in, uh, in, in this story. Like if we were watching this movie, we would know the next main scene that's coming. And to, to tease that a little bit, it's what's going to happen as they make their way to the Red Sea. But that's chapter 14. And today we're in chapter 13. And, and we can't miss some of what God has in Exodus chapter 13. So sandwiched between the Passover event and the parting of the Red Sea are some really important instructions for the people of Israel. And they're instructions around what they are to do to implement some things to never forget God's saving faithfulness over them. The theme of what, they're, of what God's going to ask them to do is that they would remember. Remember my saving work. And then as we get to the end of chapter 13, the, the focus shifts from uh, remembering God's saving work in the past to seeing how God is going to lead his people in the present. And so the big idea we're going after today is this. We're to remember God's saving work in the past and follow his leading in the present. And so I, I, I want to walk through this chapter just in those two clear parts. What has God instituted here? 
so that his people remember his saving work and how for us sitting here today, thousands of years later as followers of Jesus, how still to this day has God instituted some things for us to remember his saving work. And then as we come to the, to the end of the chapter, I want us to dig into how is God leading his people and how does God lead us as his people today? And, and I really hold back from using a phrase like this in the introduction of every sermon, but I really believe as we make our way to the close of this chapter, I really believe this could change your life. And I know that's a big statement, but here's what I mean by that. Some of you have come in here today and you've been seeking the Lord's direction, his guidance, You've wanted to know how he's leading you or where he's leading you. I've been praying all week that just by some of the principles we see at the end of this chapter, God would give you such clarity today that his spirit would whisper to you his leading and his prompting and his guiding in such a way that today you would finally make a decision to obey and do what, he's, do what you know he's asking you to do. And so in, with that as the setup, let me pray. And as we get into God's word, let's ask for his help here this morning. Father, we need your help because we, we are a people whose minds wander. We're a people whose, whose heart wander. And Lord, you have given us this, this gracious rhythm of gathering together each week to orient our heart vertically towards you in worship, to orient our heart vertically towards you as we fellowship with each other, and to orient our heart vertically towards you as your word is read and explained and applied. And so, God, would you be pleased to do a supernatural work among us where you would take your living and active word and you would impress it upon our wills in such a way that we walk out of here today prepared to live out what you called us to. Only you can do that. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want us to look at this first part today, and the first part is just said like this. We're to remember God's saving work in our lives. In the, in the first half of this chapter, there's going to be two things God institutes for the purpose. Both of these that are instituted are for the purpose of the people remembering this Passover work. The, the first thing instituted has to do with how they are to handle the firstborns that are born into their community. Exodus chapter 13, verse 1. says, The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And so we come right out of the gates, right after this Passover event, Exodus 13 starts, and the Lord says, consecrate to me. It literally means set, set apart as unto the Lord all of your firstborn, man and beast, God says, your firstborn are mine. Now, I, I want you to fast forward a bit down to verse 11, and I'm going to come back later to verse 3, but fast forward down to verse 11 because he's going to unpack more of what this consecration of the firstborn is to look like. He says, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And so I just want to stop there, and, and, and the, the instruction is clear. 
He says, of all your animals, the firstborn is mine. You sacrifice it up to me. Now God provides a provision specifically for donkeys. Donkeys were not a clean animal to be offered to the Lord, but they were a useful animal as pack animals for the people then. And so the Lord says you can redeem the life of a firstborn donkey through the, through the, the blood of a lamb. You can redeem a donkey through the sacrifice of a lamb. And then he works his way to even the firstborn sons. He says, every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. So you have a, a firstborn son in your family. You would go and you would, you would offer a sacrifice, most likely right, a lamb sacrifice for the birth of your firstborn son. And now... Again, as we sit here kind of in, in our modern day and modern culture, especially if you're newer to the Bible, you're like, see, what, why? What is up with this? And, and this is what the Bible, or well, this is what God answers very next thing. Verse 14. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? Like to, to just like paraphrase that in Brock's version. One day when your son walks up to you, years or generations down the road and says, why do we do this? What's up with this? What's this all about? What does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be, look at what it says here now, it shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This sacrifice of the firstborn or this redeeming of the firstborn son is to, have, is to have remembering power. It is to be so that as the generations go down the line, they, that they will never forget God's saving work for them at the event of Passover. And he says, I, I, I don't want you to forgive this so much so that I want you to bind this as a mark on your hand. I want you to wear this as a front lip between your eyes that you remember that by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And you see that picture again and again throughout the Torah that you would bind the law of the Lord on your hands or wear it as a front lip. If, if you were in Israel and you would see some devout Jews who would literally have these, these, these tassels that are bound on their arms and hands and they would have a box between their eyes and inside that box there's just little snippets of the Torah that they would see. So they're, they're literally trying to follow that command out. But God's intention here is that by this act of everything Every time a firstborn animal, is that you're sacrificing it to the Lord. Every time a family has a firstborn son, you're sacrificing an animal to redeem it. That they would never forget God's awesome saving work on their behalf. Now, throughout scripture, right? I mean, I'll, be, I'll kind of be honest with you. Like you come to church and you're like, what is the service about? It's about remembering. And you're like, oh, Okay. But throughout scripture, somewhere around 200 times, you see this command to remember. Remember, 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 remember. It's a big deal to God. Why? Because he knows how forgetful we are. 
right? Isn't that convicting sometimes when God does an awesome thing and we're just like, thank you, Lord. But by midweek, we can be like, God, like, where are you? We are so forgetful, are we not? Especially over God's redeeming work in our lives. And, and so there's, there's this aspect that we're still not to forget, this, this death of the firstborn. But why is it that when, when we had our firstborn son, you didn't find me outside of the church here, like with a lamb in tow? Like, why, why do we still not practice this? Well, this is, it's very neat that the father, out of his love for us, would send his only begotten son in whom the scripture calls the firstborn of all creation, and whom the scriptures call the firstborn of the dead. And it was through the death of this begotten firstborn son, and through his blood that was shed, that we are a people who are redeemed. We are purchased by the death of this firstborn. In such a way that the moment we put faith in Jesus Christ, we are consecrated as unto the Lord. And so through Jesus, just like he was the lamb, through the death of him as firstborn, he is the full and the final firstborn who paid the ultimate sacrifice here. And so it's, it's through this, this, these instructions around the firstborn that the Lord is saying, remember. But, but it's not only about the firstborn that God is instituting a remembrance holiday. Look at, look at what he says here about this feast there to have. Back to verse 3. It says, then Moses said to the people, remember, there's the word again, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. And so we saw this, this, this Passover meal that the Lord instructs for the Israelites to eat as, uh, before he's going to lead them out of their Egyptian bondage. But the Lord now says, that meal wasn't just to be a one-time meal. I want you to, I want you to uh, uh, celebrate this holy day, this holiday, every single year in the same month for seven days, no leavened bread, and then you are going to have this Passover feast, and the purpose of this annual rhythm or this annual holiday is that you would remember that by a strong hand, the Lord delivered you out of the land of Egypt, and the Passover meal down through redemptive history is to have powerful remembering power. And so you think about this Passover meal and you fast forward from this point all the way to what we call Good Friday. And you have our Savior who's around a table with his disciples. And what meal are they eating? They're eating the Passover meal. And I want us to understand that in the providence of God, it wasn't that just he was like trying to time it up for Jesus to die at Passover. God is saying that Jesus is 
the full and final Passover lamb. But think about what Jesus does at that Good Friday Passover meal. What does he institute for remembering power? Anyone? Communion. He takes bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says, after supper, likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in, in remembrance of me. And so this, this Passover meal, which God institutes for remembering power, Jesus And the instituting of the new covenant continues a breaking of bread and a drinking of the fruit of the vine so that every time we partake of it, we would remember the sacrifice of our Passover lamb on our behalf. And this is why if scripture again and again tells us, remember, 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 we must know how to remember. What does worshipful remembering of our redemption look like? What does worshipful remembering of our redemption look like? Uh, The first thing you see scripturally is this. It's to be done regularly. So God provides the instruction to the Israelites that every year in the month that Passover happened, they are to hold this feast to remember God's saving work. Likewise, As we get instruction in the New Testament on the taking of communion, uh, we are told this, for as often as you eat this bread, this is an ongoing action, we are going to do this for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. That, that there's a regularity in which we're to remember that when, when we walk in these doors, right, in the way if you've been at our church, the way we practice communion and those, those little plastic cups you get, that there's something when you see that and there's something as we're preparing to take that, that the regularity of it is to help us remember the sacrifice of Jesus, our Passover lamb. But, but as we do it regularly, it, it also is about this. It is to have pass-it-on power. It is to have pass-it-on power. What do I mean by that? In both of these things, God institutes in the, in the community, the, the, his people, the community of Israel. The, that of the firstborn and that of the Passover feast. He says, so when your son walks up to you one day and asks, why are we doing this? you're going to tell them about my saving work through the actions of Passover. In the same way, when we take communion, every time, families listen to me, those of you who are reaching out to people and they're joining you in and and, 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 and they're in for a communion service, anytime that happens, every time we take communion, we have an object lesson with pass it on power. Communion is a time for those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It is only for believers to take. Why? Because you can't remember something that hasn't happened to you. But when we sit to take communion, we are remembering. And, and when our kids tug on our arms and say, what, what is this? What are we doing this? I remember, I remember vividly, and I'll see if I can take you there. I remember the pews of Elto Baptist Church. 
And I come in, and in Elto Baptist Church, where I grew up in my little years, um, think, think of kind of an iconic country church, about 125 to 150 people, stained glass on the side, wooden pews, middle row. And, and I, I can look down the pew, and I can kind of still see where we would try to sit, whether, whether my family could sit in the pew with Grandma or whether we were right behind Grandma. I always tried to nestle right in next to Grandma because Grandma had candy in her purse. And, and I, can, I can still vividly remember communion Sundays. And I remember as a little kid, as the tray would come down, and I'd be thinking, snack time. <laughs> Crackers and juice. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't understand communion. I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And each, each month when we took communion, the tray would come down, and often it was my mom. She would just reach over and just shake her head, no. And I'd be like, another month without snack time in church. What's up with this? And so I'd ask her, and she'd tell me, this is what communion is. This is why we do it. This is what it's about. And one day, when you um, are a follower of Jesus, you'll take in this to remember. And the next month would roll around, and again, mom's hand, just no, no. I remember vividly because the scriptures tell you do not take of communion in an unworthy manner. I was used as the youngest. I'm the youngest in my family by a pretty good margin. So my older brother and sister would often take communion. I remember vividly one um, communion Sunday sitting in the pew. And as the tray was making its way down, it wasn't just a shake, uh, you know, a hand over and sh head, shake of a head to the youngest. Mom just went, no. And I've, I've, I still to this day vividly remember that Sunday. And I remember asking, Mom, why did no one take communion today? And Mom telling me, because Scripture tells us not to take it in an unworthy manner, and our, our family's heart was not in a place to take of this. My point is that communion is to have pass it on power. It's not just a ritual of worship that like oh yeah that, that's the month this is the week we take communion in the month there is so much that god has built into that that we would be telling our kids and passing on to those who don't yet know jesus why it is we take time to drink of the fruit of the vine and to take of a piece of bread to remember the work of jesus on our behalf and so as we, as we try to be, grow good at remembering the saving work of God, it's to be done regularly, it's to have pass it on power. And then the last I'll say is this, it's to have a sanctifying impact. It's to have sanctifying impact. See here, um, you see here, when it says in verse 9, it shall be as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. And then it goes on to say this, that this Passover feast is to do something with the law of the Lord or the word of God. It is the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. God is trying to tell his people there, like this is more than us just sharing a meal. This should bring us back to God's passing over saving work in such a way that our hearts and our mouths are filled with his law. Likewise, when we're partaking of communion that Christ institutes at that Good Friday Passover, 
The Bible commands us to not take of it in an unworthy way, but to examine ourselves. There should be something sanctifying about that aspect of remembering. Whereas we sit there with the elements in our hand that represent the broken body and the blood of Jesus, we're looking at this and we're remembering, oh my goodness, this, my sin cost my Savior his life. I can no longer look flippantly at that sin. I can no longer excuse that. I must confess it. I must, I must bring it before the Lord. It is to, when we remember the redemption of the Lord, it's to have a sanctifying work on our behalf. And so everything God's instituting in his community with the firstborn and with the Passover feast is for the purpose of remembering his saving work. But in Exodus chapter 13, he's not only teaching them how to remember his past acts of salvation. We also, as the chapter closed, get an awesome glimpse of his present way he's leading his people. Look at what it says in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God, uh, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Second thing I want us to see from this chapter, we are to follow God's guiding presence with our lives. Can you imagine that scene? The host of Israelites coming up out of the land of Egypt. This, I don't know what words you would use, to, this mysterious and awesome cloud leading the midst and then as the sun set and darkness set in, that cloud becoming a pillar of fire. Leading them and giving them light by night. There is so much about this part of scripture that tells us our God desires to lead his people, does he not? He's intentional in desiring to lead his people. And I know so many of us are probably gathered here today and we need specific answers and we're looking for specific ways and how God, God, I will follow you. Just show me what to do. I'll do what you want. Just show me where to go. Have you ever been there? Lord, just lead. So how does God lead? And what can we take from how he's leading here as principles of how our God desires to lead. The first thing I would notice is he leads us the best way, even if it's not the fastest. Look at what it said in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, and then the, the first thing we're told about how God led them is how God did not lead them. 
God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Why? That was the most direct. It says, although that was near. You have a direct path. God says, I am not taking you the direct way. I'm taking you a different way. Why? For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God knew something they didn't know. Well, there's the direct path. Let's go the direct path. How many of you in the room, when, when, uh, how many of you, let me ask this. How many of you would actually kind of enjoy the scenic route? Anyone? They're like, I enjoy the scenic route. Well, you have a Jeep, Therese. Of course you enjoy the scenic route, right? But how many of you are like, if given the option, you're like, give me the fastest way every time. My family, all my family's still up in Michigan, so we make a lot of trips back to see them. And I'll ask Erica sometimes, because there's different ways we can take, and I'm kind of for the scenic route. I'll ask her, she'll be in the passenger seat, we'll be in the driveway. I'm like, hey, which way do you want to take? She's like, the fastest. Just give me there the fastest way. But there's something God understands about taking the people on the scenic route. They can't handle the fastest way. If they're met with war, they will be tempted to turn back to Egypt. We as a culture and as a people love fast. When we seek the Lord for guiding and directing, we're like, God, like, here's my request, and if you could let me know by noon, that'd be great. What if God is interested in the best way that's not the fastest way? And can we, be, can we be honest? The more we live, don't we understand God often doesn't lead in the fast way? He loves to get us off the highway and onto the scenic winding country roads because he understands things we can't and he knows what's ahead that we can never see. So if you feel like you're seeking direction in specific things and you feel like God has you on the winding country scenic route, will you just say right now, I trust you and I'll enjoy the scenery? Lord, you're not directing quickly, but even if you don't take me in the fastest way, I believe you're taking me in the best way. Second thing about how God leads here that I believe we see, he leads from the front. We need only to follow. It says here in verse 21, and the Lord went before them. Isn't it good when the Lord goes before us? Doesn't life get hard when we go before the Lord? How often in my life have I been out in front of the Lord trying to coax him in the way I already want to go? I was thinking about that and how that plays out in our life. When we go into the grocery store, uh, the kids, as we're, making, as we're getting close to the little sliding doors that open, the kids will often be out in front because they know right inside those sliding, sliding doors, usually off to the side are all the games, crane game, arcade games, you know what I'm talking about? And so they will run ahead and they'll think, if we just run over to these games, maybe we can coax mom and dad to come over. And I have to watch it. I'm a sucker for a good crane game, okay? So I got to watch it. But almost every time, like when the kids are with us and we're going to the store, they run ahead and they're off to the games and we're like, that's not why we're here. I didn't come here to spend $10 on a crane game. Came here to get bananas and bread. We're not going that way, we are going this way. How often in our life are we seeking direction from the Lord? Lord, I just want to follow you, I just want to follow you. But we are out ahead of him trying to coax us and it, coax him in our direction instead of falling back where we need to be and following the way he's leading. And now as we think about following the way he's leading, 
I know so many of us, and me included, we're like, I'll follow, Lord, I'll follow you. I just don't always know where you're going and how you're leading. Like sometimes we read this and we're like, I'm, I'm kind of jealous for the cloud. Like we wake up tomorrow and there's the cloud. And as the cloud moves, we just follow, right? Night sets in and there's a pillar of fire and we just follow where it's going. Can I remind us, people of God, we have something better than the cloud. We have the Spirit of God whom our Savior said he would send and he has sent who upon faith in Jesus Christ is not just a cloud outside of us going before us, but the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, who will counsel us, who will lead us, and who will guide us. How many of us in the room today just need to fall back to where we need to be and let the Spirit of God guide our steps ahead? And so he leads us the best way, even if not the fastest. He leads from the front. We need only to follow. The third thing I think we see in this, he leads us night and day, meaning he is always leading us. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The Lord is always leading The Lord is never absent from his post. You have to believe deep down in the gut of your heart, if that makes any sense, that God desires to lead you. And I know when life gets hard and intense and you're seeking the Lord in some very intense situations of life, it can feel like, where are you? Where have you gone? Why are you not giving more clarity into this? We need to know what to do. We need to know where to go. Where are you, Lord? And here's what I've found a lot in life. When I'm there, where are you? And I'm getting agitated and and even borderline angry about what seems like the Lord's lack of guidance. I have found this to be true almost every time. I, I think that guidance always equals forward movement. When I have been most frustrated with a lack of the Lord's direction, I'm like, Lord, there's no forward movement. Where are you? What are you doing? Where are we going? But can I remind us of something we're going to see throughout the book of Exodus? The pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, it's going to move at times and they are to follow, but then it's going to what? There it's going to stop at times and they are to stop. I wonder sometimes when we're frustrated in the intense things of life, if we don't know how God's leading is, God is actually still leading, but the leading is stop. Be. Rest. That's enough for now. And so the Lord desires to lead, and He is leading us all the time. He's never not leading us. He leads us in the best way, even if it's not the fastest. He's leading us by day and night, which means He's always leading us. And he's leading us out in front. It means we just have, we just have to follow. And praise God for his spirit who empowers us to know how to follow. We are to remember God's saving work. We can't ever forget that. 
But then remembering his saving work in the past, it leads us to this faithfulness of following his leading in the present. That's what we're after today.